0: reading from uh, John uh, chapter 12, verses 20 through to 36. And it says this, some Greeks seek Jesus. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. will be my servant also. If anybody serves me, the Father will honour him. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that Christ that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of life. May the Lord bless the reading of his word.
1: Thanks, Alan. Um, For those of you who are visiting, uh, we as a church uh, have a leadership team that Alan was talking about. We're an elder-led church. Alan is one of our elders, and he's also the guy that has the dad jokes at every meeting. So if you haven't picked that up, that's Alan. Um, So friends, thank you for coming today. If you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, welcome again. My name is Shabir. I'm one of the pastors here, and part of our time of worship is we take our time through different books of the Bible. And last year we started exploring the Gospel of John, and that's what we're doing. We're continuing our time in the Gospel of John, so that's where we'll be parking ourselves. If you don't know who Jesus is, maybe we're exploring that at the moment. Maybe a friend of yours brought you along. We pray that, firstly and foremostly, that you will hear, and if you haven't already, that our greatest desire is that you will come to know Jesus, and that you will realize it's only in him that you will have life and true life in his name. And with that in mind, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you, and I thank you so much that you know every single person, every single soul that's sitting here this morning. You know our journeys. You know even where we're at right now. So through your spirit, through your word, would you make yourself true and real? We pray that whoever we are will walk away knowing you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we've been kind of journeying and exploring the Gospel of John, we started last week and we came up to this section where Jesus has been declaring very clear, clearly this idea that he is a king. Uh, that he is this king that they've been waiting for. Uh, But also he's been declaring very subtly to some extent, but saying this sort of um, thing of him going to die. He's heading towards the cross. This is where we're picking up the story. Last week we picked that up. But also, the people at the time are waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for a political leader. Yes, they are waiting for a king to actually release them from the Roman occupation. But here comes this king riding on a colt, unlike any other king. And so this is where we come up to. And now remember how we heard last week that there's a reason why people are following Jesus. It was very clearly in the passage last week. You see that in John 12, right? In verses 18 to 19. The reason why the crowd went to meet him, that's Jesus, was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So... This is what's going on in the background. This is why people are following Jesus. This is why they're pursuing him. The sign could lead towards this in the context of Lazarus and his resurrection, or some argue that maybe it's because this Messiah kind of figure comes in and they declare, here is the king coming through the gates of Jerusalem. But the reason why they're following is this language of sign that you've seen throughout the Gospel of John. Now we come into one of the most significant passages in the Gospel of John. If you study the Gospel of John, they they use this language, what's called the hinge passage. Uh, The hinge passage is a passage that now shifts, shifts to the real purpose, shifts in the direction of what Jesus is here for. Now this is what we're being told. This is a significant moment in Jesus' life and ministry. So people are seeing and he's revealing himself in the signs and we we know that, he's been declaring that. But in this moment and throughout the next few chapters, you're going to hear a word that's going to come up quite often, particularly in this passage that we're looking at this morning. And that language is glory, glorified, or lifted up. Friends, this morning I want us to consider something that is so crucial to the Christian faith. That if you don't actually believe this, and if this is not the center of the Christian faith, actually what we're doing this morning is absolutely pointless. If this wasn't real, if this wasn't the significant, crucial part of the Christian faith, there's no point of us meeting here this Sunday morning. You can go home. There's no point for us to have communion. It's, it's absolutely pointless. But there's no point of us singing songs about Jesus. This is one of the most significant moments, both in Jesus' time, but also a significant moment for the rest of history. That is the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. And in connection with the cross of Christ, you would have seen it if you haven't already picked it up the language, the costly reality of being a disciple of Jesus. The cost of being a disciple of Jesus. So, two things the cross of Christ and the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. I don't know if you've realized this, and maybe you've already picked this up because I'm guessing you're much smarter than I. Uh, You and I live in a day and age that constantly proclaims to us, and you and I are constantly hearing sermons every day through the songs that we listen to, through the TV programs that we watch, the advertising campaigns. These sermons that keep telling you this narrative that says, You are someone, you can conquer the world, you're a champion. I've got three kids, and every Disney movie has that ultimate narrative that actually ultimately tells them they can be a hero. They can be somebody. And then you you feed that into the Australian culture, right? Us Aussies, we're a bit of a competitive bunch. Yes? Yes. Some are like, no, you're already competing with me. Right, And competition comes out in the sporting field. We have this language called Aussie pride. In the Bible, that's called sin, by the way. But it's the language that we hate losing. Now, I know that most of us probably don't like losing in general, right? But it's in our narrative. The idea of being someone who hasn't got it together, someone who's weak, actually goes against the grain for some reason. What about in the Christian culture? I think I've noticed over the years, particularly when I talk about Christian culture, I'm talking specifically about the Western Christian culture that speaks this language of you are powerful. You're a champion. Now, I get it to some extent. You, you want to speak of how what Christ has done and because of that you're a conqueror and all those wonderful truths of the Bible. Yeah, your identity in Christ, which is true there's this language that's now seeping in over and over again that I see that makes it or communicates to us you have to be really strong and powerful to be somebody. Well, friends, in front of us, you have a total countercultural perspective from Jesus' eyes. See, the cross of Christ is a reminder huh? not only that, it is the cross that is central to everything, it's the hinge in the Christian faith. But also, there is a cost to following Jesus. And that's what Jesus once explained to us in the passage that's in front of us. The cross of Christ is a reminder to you and I to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus, you need to be okay in being weak. That's what's been displayed in these passages in front of us. You see that in verses 20 to 26. Have a look with me, right? So this is in the moment where Jesus has just gone through the gates of Jerusalem. The Pharisees have declared, look, the whole world is going after him. And you have this moment where some Greeks come looking for him. You see that in verse 21. They approach Philip and they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And an interesting thing Jesus does. So Jesus hears about these guys who are coming looking for him. What's his response? It's a significant moment in Jesus' ministry. There's a lot of buzz going on. The Jewish festival of the Passover is coming. Uh, Jerusalem is a a lot of a bit of a buzz. Uh, Some commentators say this very event happened most probably straight after Jesus was in the court of the Gentiles where he turns the tables upside down and throws everyone out. And then you have this language of the Greeks coming to visit. Now, these aren't necessarily meaning just Greeks as in from the nation of Greece. Uh, This is another way of saying these are God-fearers. These are non-Jewish people who've come for the Jewish festival. They approach Andrew. Uh, If you want to spend a bit of time into digging deeply, uh, some argue that Andrew is a Greek name, so hence why they're coming to check out who Andrew is and so on. You can do that. But either way, Jesus is making it very clear about something in this moment. The language here is when they say they go up to Andrew and say, hey, we want to see Jesus, Do you know what the language says? It literally says, hey, we want to interview Jesus. We want to interview him. We want to ask him some questions. Maybe they want to ask about Lazarus. Maybe they want to ask about why he turned the tables upside down in the court of the Gentiles. Maybe he wants to, or the the, the moment that he comes through the city. Either way, the author John who writes the Gospel of John is now connecting the dots for us. Right? In the previous passage, the Pharisees said, look, the whole world has gone after him. Now, the two worlds are literally there. Uh, the world of the Jews and what's known as the world of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. They're all there. And they're seeking Jesus, whether for good reasons or not. And in this moment, this is the signal where Jesus' ministry is now declaring clearly to everyone why he's here. That is the cross, the cross that he's about to head to, the cross of Christ. And you see that in verse 23 where Jesus says, this is the hour the Son of Man must be glorified. And then in verse 25, he talks about uh, if you're a disciple of his, you must actually hate your own life. Now, if you were someone in that crew coming to find Jesus, and you're reading this passage, it almost sounds like a tangent, right? Some people come and find Jesus, and Jesus is like, by the way, the Son of Man must be glorified. It doesn't seem quite, or doesn't make quite sense. See, in this moment, this language that Jesus says, it is time, the hour. It's a strong biblical term that you see throughout the Bible. It's another way of saying, this is the moment. This is the moment that all of creation, this is the moment that God has planned. This is the moment of God's unfolding story. This is the moment where the Son of Man, this is Jesus, will be glorified. And in this context, he's talking about his death that he's heading towards. He's already been mentioning it, now he's talking about it again. Now, friends, I don't know about you, when you hear the term glory, glorified, what kind of images come to your mind? Right? You might hear the words like, that was a glorious sunset. The AFL is about to start. That was a glorious mark. What a glorious smell of coffee. Maybe you don't do that. But when we talk about glory and glorified, it's very rarely connected to the idea of being weak. It's very rarely connected to the idea of even death itself. And Jesus is saying the way that Jesus will be glorified will be his death. And that's why he uses this illustration of the grain falling into the ground. And then the grain producing much fruit. This is the picture that Jesus is giving. He's saying, this is me. I'm about to die. I will go to the cross. Now, friends, this is nothing new, as you see in the Gospel of John, right? This is what John's been revealing over time and time again. I mean, in the very famous verse, John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's a picture of Jesus being given as a sacrifice. The clues have been there. And here Jesus is saying how he will be glorified is actually becoming weak, actually dying. But he's saying his death has a purpose. Jesus is making it very clear that for a disciple of his, to follow him, there's this language now played in. He's displaying both that for him to be glorified, he has to be dying on a cross. And then he's now declaring there's a cost to following him. I'm not sure what you're like when it comes to counting the cost. Uh, Some of us, when it comes to counting the cost on anything, we'll tend to do things like this. Uh, We don't count the cost. We just jump into it, and then we realize, we probably should have thought that through a bit more. Some of us read every single detail, and then we might make a decision if it's a safe decision or not. If it's too risky, no thanks. I don't know what you're like. I mean, this happened to me recently. Um, I joined a gym, I know it's surprising. And at this gym, when you sit down with a personal trainer, they tell you about the goals and excitement and things that you can do. And I remember sitting there going, yeah, this sounds awesome, I can do this. And then there's this moment when you come to the first class and they've got all the equipment ready and they're they're pumping you up and you're thinking to yourself, I I feel fit already since I smelled the gym, right? And then I, I go for the first exercise. And I have this thought that crosses, crosses through my mind. Why am I doing this? This is painful. Why is this guy yelling at me? And I'm paying him to yell at me. Who's the wicked person who thought about this exercise? And I didn't count the cost financially, but the pain that comes through it. Now friends, that's a horrible illustration, I think. But at the heart of it is what I'm trying to get at is this. Jesus' discipleship class has begun. His discipleship class has begun, and he's saying, he's making a powerful statement. People have been following him because of the signs that he's shown. He's saying, well, if you want to follow me, there's a cost. If you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to hate your life. These are strong words by Jesus. And in this picture, what we have here. When we are listening to these kind of stories that Jesus is declaring, when Jesus says, I'll be glorified, I want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. When you hear, I will be glorified, and if you're a disciple listening, going, yes, this king has come through Jerusalem, and everyone's saying, praise the king, and he's saying, I'm going to be glorified, and then you hear, by the way, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, you have got to hate your life. It should make the disciple go, "Uh, that doesn't quite make sense. But Jesus is being deliberate here. He's declaring, hey, if you delight in this world and you want to be my disciple, you're as good as dead. In contrast, he's saying a true disciple of Jesus actually thinks little of their life and is actually focused more on thinking of God. And they're actually willing to sacrifice all for the Father. And Jesus says, this is what it means to follow me. He's saying, believing in my signs alone will not do it. It's a call that says you need to live a self-sacrificing life. Now, notice what Jesus does. This is the beauty of who Jesus is. He doesn't just sit there barking an order like some sort of um, cult leader. He's already displaying this is what it's going to look like because he's going to go before them he's going to go before them and that's why he talks about his impending death because this king this jesus is like no other king this king jesus comes and serves people this jesus comes into this world and his greatest desire always has been to honor the father But i want you to know friends these verses in front of us are not optional if you're a follower of jesus The language here in the original text is so strong. It's a command. This is a call for all of us who proclaim that they follow Jesus. And this is why Jesus says this language of both declaring very clearly there's this spiritual death that is displayed here, but also he's saying, if you follow me, guess what? This will cost your life, both spiritually. And for some of them listening in, this was going to be literally going to happen. It would actually cost their life. This includes the guy who's writing the book of John, who would eventually be exiled for his faith in Patmos. Who's excited about being a follower of Jesus? Ready to sign up? In Jesus' recruiting drive? You know what I love about Jesus in this? He's so real, he's honest, he's up front. But his invitation is always filled with hope. His invitation is filled with hope because this invitation comes in the shadow of the cross. You know, it's not what Jesus is calling us is to say, hey, to be a disciple, you just got to try hard now. And if you keep trying hard, then you're a disciple because if you try living your life that way, they'll either constantly lead you to constant feeling guilt and feeling you're not good enough, or you would lead to religious piety, thinking that you're better than everyone else. This is what happens when you don't have the cross in the front and center of your life as a disciple. And this is why Jesus unpacks the beauty of the cross. Have a look with me in verses 27 to 36. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I've glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it and said, uh, said, it thundered others said an angel has spoken to him Jesus answered the voice has come for you your sake not mine now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of this world be cast out and I when I'm lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself and he said this to show by what kind of death he's going to die so the crowd answered him we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever how can you say that the son of man must be lifted up who is this son of man So, Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of life. In this moment, as Jesus is having this dialogue, he's declaring what it means to be a disciple, he's talking about how he's going to head towards the cross. that that he's going to be dying and then that death will bring life. The language here says that he's actually being stirred. Uh, The stirring kind of language to say, what can he do now? Can he turn around to the Father and say, Father, please, please spare me this. Please don't let me die. No, Jesus has the cross that he's focused on all the way. And his focus is this, he's saying he knows that he's come for this purpose. And this is why he declares this statement, glorify your name. And then you hear the voice come. Actually in the New Testament, this is one of three times the audible voice of the Father comes. It's a way that the author is trying to say, this is the Messiah. The Father himself would affirm the Messiah, this is Jesus declaring, this is the father declaring the identity of his son. And the voice says, I have glorified. It's already happened. And I will glorify it again. Friends, I would encourage you, if you have time in your small groups, to take time and discuss this particular question. But what's going on is there's this cosmic event happening. It's a literal cosmic event. This is not something that's made up. It might have happened. It definitely happened, okay? Okay? And what's been displayed here is Jesus is praying to the Father. The Father says, yep, I've already glorified it. He's speaking of the Son, the one who has already glorified him. The one who Jesus is, uh, in his baptism, the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the language that's going on here. And in that statement where it says, yes, he will be glorified again, it is a statement of the Father saying, yes, you will glorify it again on that cross. The cross I will send you to. The cross in where I will sacrifice you as my only son for the rest of the world. And Jesus is declaring again why he is the perfect one. The son who is always doing what's on the Father's heart. In all of his life, his... Whole focus was to glorify the Father. And this is what we have in verses 30 to 36. Now, I don't know if you picked up the language. This is a fascinating interaction going on. The crowd are there. They hear some sort of noise, and they hear, so they think, oh, maybe it's thunder, or maybe it's an angel that was talking to Jesus. And it's a powerful statement that the author John, I think, is making. Here we have the Messiah, right? Here we hear the voice of God. There's eternal sort of stuff going on. There's a cosmic battle. There's a spiritual reality being displayed. But what we see in the crowd? Spiritual blindness. It's right there in front of them and they still don't see it. And what they end up doing is misrepresenting it. They're blind to the fact that God the Father is speaking literally and the Son is speaking. And friends, this is a a beautiful picture of the reality that we have in the world that you and I live in with our friends. I don't know if you've ever done this when you've shared something with a friend of yours from the Bible and they just turn around to you and say, no, that can't be true. Or when they see the glory and creation and sometimes they just shake their head and go, there's no God, there's no God's existence at all. This is the picture of the hearts of all of us. And this is why Jesus is warning them And in that moment, he says to them, Judgment has come. This picture is the judgment that is there for the ruler of the world at time that is Satan. Victory is being announced. This is victorious language of a king. The battle has won. Here I am. And then when he talks about being lifted up and where he will draw people to himself, the people are listening in and they're thinking to themselves, Okay, you're saying victory is going to come, but then you say that you will be lifted up. That doesn't quite compute in our heads. When Jesus is making very clear, how is he going to be lifted up? He's going to be lifted up on a cross. And you see the response of the crowd. They they pick that up, and that's why they're questioning it. They're going, hold on, the the law says the the Messiah is actually reigning forever, and, and now you're telling he's going to die. This does not make sense to us. See, for the original audience at the time, when they talk about the, um, the law, they don't mean just as necessarily Exodus and Leviticus, they most probably mean the Old Testament. And they have images and pictures in their mind when they hear things like glorified, lifted up. They have passages like this that come to mind in Isaiah 6. The year that King Uz- Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up the train of his robe filled the temple now Isaiah 52:13 behold my servant shall act wisely he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted Isaiah 57:15 for thus says the one who is high and lifted up who inhabits in eternity whose name is holy these are all pictures of a king who is high and lifted up sitting on a throne ruling forever It's an image of a king who is glorious. In this moment, Jesus says, the Son of Man, the Messiah, must die. And to them, it doesn't make sense. It sounds like crazy talk. How could the Son of Man die? How could the Messiah die? They don't actually quite get it. They don't get that true victory is actually going to be with the Son of Man humbling himself to die on a cross. And this cross that is a symbol in that time of shame and dishonor and death would eventually become a symbol of hope. And this is why Jesus says, well, if you want to know who this Messiah is, well, the light is among you. Have we not already seen that in the Gospel of John? In John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying to them, to be a disciple of his, you have to die. But to understand that, you need to see who, what your current state is. You are in darkness. And he says, you need to believe in me because I am the light. And if you believe in me, you will become sons of light. This expression of sons of light is declaring men and women to whom the truth of God has been revealed. and That now shapes everything of their life, and their whole life is now lived accordingly. This is where you see this language of the sons of light. To understand that, though, to become a son of light, to be a disciple of Jesus, we need to be willing to die. We must be willing to set aside our rights for God and his purposes. It means we die to Jesus' purposes in our life. A friend, what I love about God and what he's done is this. God has displayed this beautiful picture. To fully behold the glory of God's plan, you and I need to come back to the foot of the cross. That's where we'll see God's glorious plan. See, if the cross is not in the forefront, if his death is not in the forefront of our lives, the sacrifice of Christ is not in the forefront, we will assume this is what discipleship means discipleship means Jesus loves me and I have my ticket to heaven. And that's it. And the cross just stays small. Some of us think discipleship means Jesus died for me, but to be a good disciple, I just need to make sure I toe the line. And then the cross becomes the baseball bat that we rack ourselves over and over again. And some of us think, well, Jesus died on the cross... Shabu, we're in 2020. You need to water that down a little bit. A good friend of mine who's a pastor in the States with a pretty prominent denomination was sharing how their denomination decided to take out of all their hymn books and songs anything that had to do with the death and cross of Jesus. Now friends, before we say no, just be aware this is temptation for all of us. The cross of Jesus is confronting I had this a few years ago where I was uh, talking to a young lady when I was involved with student ministry and she shared with me, she didn't know Jesus yet. She came to a conference and they were singing songs about the blood of Jesus and I asked her after the you know, time together, I said to her, hey, what would you think? You've never been to church and stuff. She goes, man, you guys are very happy, clappy, aren't you? Um, I said, yeah, that's what it's kind of like here. She goes, I've got to be honest with you about something. I said, yeah, what's that? She kept on singing about the blood of Jesus washing over me. I felt a bit sick. Now, I could roll my eyes at her, but in reality, she doesn't understand the cross of Christ, both is beautiful and powerful. And then you only realize that if that cross of Christ continues to grow bigger and bigger in your life. Until she sees that. By God's grace, she did get saved. She now is a follower of Jesus. See, the cross of Christ was constantly in the forefront of his mission the symbol of shame would eventually become the symbol of hope and the reason there is a need for the cross of Christ friends it's not external it's actually internal it's because of our condition the condition that we were all born into that declares i will glorify myself i will make my own salvation i will lift myself up above everyone else i will keep trying hard to be good I can't be bothered being good, so I'll just follow whatever the world has for me to the most extreme. Or I will make sure that I'm the center of attention, that the ultimate desire is my own glory. This is why you and I, if you're followers of Jesus, the cross should continue to capture our hearts over and over again, to become bigger and bigger and beautiful. And that's true for many of you here today, I know. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It's much more than a ticket to heaven. It means a lifestyle of dying to ourselves every day, every moment, when Jesus is the king of our lives. And to do that, we come to the cross of Christ over and over again. Because Jesus is this unlikely, beautiful king who has gone before us, who's modeled this, the one who is the Son of God humbles himself to become a servant, to die on a cross for your sin and my sin, and then he calls so that you and I can gain all of that wonderful blessing of knowing him. And then we become sons and daughters of the light. Jesus is the king who's the ironic champion. So for us to be a somebody in His kingdom, you and I have to learn to become nobody. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And this is why the Apostle Paul would write, as a result of who Jesus is and what he's done, he's been highly exalted. And every name will bow and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord, the glory of God, the Father. Friends, this is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it means to be a disciple of his. Now, a question I have for you today Have you bowed before this throne, this cross, in your hearts? Friends, I want you to know Christ died for you. If you don't know this truth, he's made it very clear. I'm here to tell you, to follow Jesus is a cost. There is a cost to following Jesus. But this is the one who's gone before you and paid that price, so you can follow him. Followers of Jesus in the world that we live in in 2020, are we being tempted to water down the cross of Christ? In whatever way, what does that look like for you? Are you embarrassed to talk about the cross? Please don't. Jesus has called us to talk about the cross in a beautiful way. Are we adding to the cross in any way? Yes, it means to, to follow Jesus. Jesus died for your sins, but, X. Be careful, friends. That becomes the theology that ultimately becomes a me-centered theology. Are we tempted to always talk about God's love and grace, which is true, but it's never in the shadow of the cross that was paid for you and I? Maybe some of us are just weary saints. You're tired. You feel like you're constantly dropping the ball. You know what? The cross brings grace again. And to take encouragement in knowing what Christ has done for you, that it's not in your effort, but his and his alone. So friends, this morning, as you head into this week, mums and dads, this is something that I've been confronted with. As I read stories of Jesus, do I, am I tempted to skip over the pictures of the cross? that show a cross, a saviour who is bleeding and crying. Are we willing to show the full aspects of the gospel? Let your kids see that and know that. If you are someone who calls Canterbury home, I'm asking you on the behalf of the leadership team, pray that we will never minimize the cross of Christ in the gospel. That will always be a threat in any church. And friends, if you come alongside those, whether they're seekers or followers, be humble. Do you know the only leg you and I have to stand on is because of Christ and that cross. We're not better than anyone else. Christ is the one who's great. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the wonder and majesty of the cross. For those of us who have forgotten the beauty of it, remind us again daily. For those of us who are captured by this beauty, please continue to grow your cross to be bigger and bigger in our lives as we live as your disciples in this broken world. In your name, amen.